Hi, everybody. Welcome to HMH's Future of Transportation podcast. I'm John Halpin, and on this show, we have a regular series of chats with experts in the transportation industry. Joining me today is Dr. Ann Goodchild, founding director of the University of Washington Supply Chain, Transportation, and Logistics Center, which launched the Urban Freight Lab in 2016 to, quote, bring together the public and private sectors to address the challenges of urban freight sy- of the urban freight system by engaging in innovative research, according to the website. The partnership brings together, quote, private industry, academic researchers, and public transportation agencies to solve urban freight management problems that overlap private and public spaces and have wide-ranging benefits. That's a mouthful, and I was rude by not saying, Dr. Goodchild, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you being here today. Good. No, no problem. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So so um, before we dig into the details, um, can, can you describe why confronting urban freight issues is so important? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, we often skip over that, I think. Um, <laughs> I guess it's, you know, for me, primarily because um, like, you know, 80% of Americans live in urban areas. And um, so we, ex- you know, the the reality of urban freight is what we experience every day. So if it's sort of, uh, if we have a, a congested network, uh, then as we try to move around, that slows us down. If we have, you know, noisy uh, and sort of obstructive uh, vehicles, then, that's what we walk past or that's what we experience on a daily basis. If, if it's a struggle for uh, companies to sort of operate you know, profitably, then that's something that you know, eventually we all experience in increased cost of goods or less ex- availability of products. So I think by improving the urban freight system, we make life better for everybody in, in urban areas. Okay. Um, how'd you get involved in this, by the way? Well, I've always been fascinated by freight transport. Um, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be—I wanted to be a truck driver. I think that was more about being like I had this impression you could sort of be master of your own little domain, and that looked really <laughs> appealing to me. Um, but I also just have always been fascinated by like big, complex transport problems. So, mm-hmm. you know, I remember very vividly the first time I rode on the subway in Washington, D.C. and looking at the map and imagining, gosh, how do they get all those people, you know, where they want to go? And, um, and, you know, realizing when I sort of first learned about the mail and about uh, FedEx and how it, it just fascinated me that 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 kind of complexity could operate so quickly and so efficiently. And I wanted to learn more about it. So it's, I've just always been drawn to those sort of distribution problems, complex, you know, they're incredibly like quantitatively challenging yet also mm-hmm. so we touch them every day. So uh, that's really exciting to me. Okay. Let's let's talk more about the Urban Freight Lab. Um, the the Urban Freight Lab developed uh, what you call the Final Fifty Feet Research Program. Can you, before we start digging into the details, can you briefly exp- explain what that program does? Yeah. So the Final Fifty Feet is it's really the sort of out of vehicle element of the distribution system, and when we really started in you know digging into urban freight and and for for the most part that's distribution right because 
most of what we need in cities are, are things to, to, to live and to supply us. And most of the time, major producers aren't the, the primary residents of cities. But so, you know, we can talk about sort of delivery problems. Um, that there's been a lot of attention. Uh, so, so we started digging in, we were, you know, wanted to make, make an impact, wanted to make sure we understood the problem really well before we sort of selected which problems we were going to uh, research. And really what we noticed there was that this out of vehicle time was most of the time that in order to sort of get vehicles moving more quickly, what we, the biggest bang for the buck was actually in reducing out of vehicle time. And so, and there's been a lot of focus for decades. I know you could argue that it's even longer than that around sort of the vehicle, right? And even the, the word, the last mile, most people think of vehicles. They're still thinking of where does a truck go, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's good. We've made a lot of progress. We've, we've you know, improved efficiency there immensely. Um, but we, we, you know, it sort of happened to the, um, and, and our draw, draw, drew our focus there, whereas there's a ton of time, there's a ton of cost in, in the out of vehicle time, particularly in urban areas. Like the majority of a driver's time is actually out of vehicle. It's funny, we call them drivers because driving is not what they're doing most of the time. Most of the time they're, uh, they're walking. Um, and so we saw that there was an opportunity there to study that part of the problem. It hadn't really been, um, you know, the data hadn't been collected and shared. It hadn't really been sort of explored. Um, and we gave it a label, right? We called it the final 50 feet. Um, the alliteration is good. It's not literally 50 feet, but it, it also emphasizes, you know, how that's different from the last mile. The geographic scale is much smaller um, and it's much more complicated. It's not, you know, it's owned by multiple people. So it's mm -hmm. not just a road, right? It's a sidewalk and it's a staircase and it's a, a security process at the door. So it's, it's, you know, there are many people involved in it. It's quite complicated. And that's why we needed to, to create the Urban Freight Lab, which is this community of those stakeholders. We have real estate developers, we have um, retailers, we have carriers, we have technology providers. So there's, it's this sort of messy suite of people who all play a role. And we saw the need to bring them together to really do better and, and solve some of those final 50 feet problems. Okay. So, so the, the two goals I, I saw on the website, reducing dwell time and reducing failed first delivery rate are of the, sorry, of the urban freight lab or the final 50 feet program. I may have those mixed up a little bit. Um, is, re, is reducing dwell time, like when I, when I start researching what you do, and, and there was talk about, you know, decentralizing distribution centers, things like that. And I know we'll talk about that a little bit more. It, reducing dwell time seemed easier than reducing a failed first delivery rate in in my uninformed head, I guess. You know, I looked and I said, okay, reduce dwell time. Well, you know, you have smaller vehicles, um, you, you know, you bit less congestion, uh, easier to get in and out, you know, boom, done. Is it that easy? I know that's an oversimplification, but why is it an oversimplification? Um. Okay, so I would just correct a couple of things. One is our original uh, goals were to reduce dwell time and 
uh, fail, the failed first deliveries, but we've uh, we we recently modified those. So, um, I mean, we felt it was really important as a group to define a small number of quantitative measures that we were going to use to evaluate ourselves and our progress. A lot of times when people talk about a problem, um, they you know continue to talk about it at this very general level and sort of fail to get to, okay, you know, well, what are we gonna do about that? And how do we know when we've done better? And so we really, but yet, you know, picking metrics can be kind of painful because there's so many challenges and there's so many other important things, right? And by sort of picking two and not picking others, you know, people say, well, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? But we really wanted to emphasize progress and, mm -hmm. you know, a, sort of accountability. So we picked two. That doesn't mean that there aren't numerous other important measures that I welcome, you know, people to focus on and study and improve. But you know, so, and and also we chose these me uh, measures on an annual basis. So we weren't mm -hmm. saying that for the rest of time these are the <laughs> only two things that matter in urban freight. But we right. thought, you know, we're a small group of people. We have a year. We're going to pick a couple of measures that matter to us that we can define, and we're going to we're first going to evaluate where we stand now. We're going to um, generate some ideas for how we could do better with these measures. We're going to do those things, and then we're going to see how far we got. So, um, you know, it's, I, I think more about the importance of sort of setting goals and, and measuring yourself than it is saying these are the only two things that matter in urban freight. And as I mentioned, we have uh, adjusted those. Okay. So yeah, dwell time and failed first delivery. So I, well, the reason I think that we came to those was a that they were measurable. That mm -hmm. if we set out and we collected some data, we could we could define what those are, and we could you know say it's twelve point two minutes. Um, I'm I'm making that number up. Um, mm -hmm. and also that we did have a we were bringing together a diverse group but we could all agree that those two measures were important. So there might be some additional measures that mattered more to our carriers or that mattered more to our city partners or that mattered more to our retailers, but these were two measures that, that everybody wanted to reduce because all of us, it's a waste for everybody. And I, I think I can say that with absolute certainty when we have failed deliveries. Right. No carrier wants to have to do three times as much work to get you your package. You right. don't. The, no city wants to carry three times as much traffic to deliver the same number of goods. No individual wants two failed attempts before they finally get their package. So everybody, it's good for everybody if we can reduce failed delivery. So that was one reason that that you know, so that it was a thing we could measure. We all cared about, and we could we could find some ways to do better on that. And similarly with dwell time, nobody wants longer dwell time. No carrier wants it, no, no city resident wants it, no city government wants it. So those are two things that everybody could agree, you know, were, were goals that we all collectively shared and we've reduced them, it was better for everybody. Um, and so, you know, how easy is it to reduce those? That's a, you know, that's not really a, a measurable thing. I mean, if I said one was easier than the other, I don't know what that would really mean. Um, I, you know, why are they hard? That was, that was really where the final 50 feet comes in. I mean, it, de it depends a lot on 
sort of where you are. Um, it's not that hard, like in my neighborhood where where the the driver just pulls up in front of my house, maybe parks, you know, in the street, <laughs> runs Same. up my stairs. <laughs> you know, it's that's probably a twenty four second you know delivery. Um, but it's it's much more difficult where um, where there's a, a key code access to a building um, and it's not functioning today, um, where there's uh, you know a, a locked a, a concierge that you know you need to to needs to sign for the package and they're not at the desk that morning. So it it depends a lot on on where you are, kind of how how difficult those things are to reduce, and then you know who needs to be engaged, what are their motivations. Um, what are, you know, what are the things that you're trying to implement? So, no, I, you know, I, I, I don't have an opinion about which one of those is easier to do. Um, and I guess I, if I had, if you made me pick one of them, I'd probably say failed first deliveries was actually easier to fix. Okay. So it, the way you've described the failed first deliveries, it, it sounds like a, a lot of the issue is on the recipient side, which is difficult for you and your partners to solve, right? So, so what? I mean, you, you can't you can't do a lot of. When you say it's on the recipient side, what are you imagining? You, uh, the concierge who might not be there, the keypad that doesn't work. You can't you, the person the the entity delivering the package or whatever it might be can't do anything about that, right? So, what can you do to to improve things? Oh no, they can. I mean, they can they can install a lock or the lockbox. They can um, have an alternative if, like, they can uh, require you to provide some alternative delivery locations. Um, like, if one isn't available, they cannot offer signature delivery. Um, they can. Um, yeah, they can create a locker system that they deliver to. So, I mean, it, it does affect the choices that you have as a customer mm -hmm. and the flexibility you have, but it's, yeah, it's by no means the only way we could do things, but you're, you know, actually a lot of, a lot of failed deliveries um, come from mistakes in the, in the address. Um, so like it's, you know, it says suite 200 and there is no suite 200. Um, so it, uh, I wouldn't, say that the majority of them are that there's needs to be a person there and the person's not there um there's quite a mix of things that cause uh failed deliveries okay um how did covid affect how you look at this did covid change things or did it just sort of exaggerate them and shine a bigger spotlight on them yeah this is a real mix um i think one thing that's definitely um it definitely has shined a, a, a spotlight on delivery services and um, almost like kind of uh, justified them. I think that, you know, there might've been a sense before like, oh, you don't, you know, you don't need uh, like it's, it's a lower priority say for, for a city. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas I think with with COVID, it it um, it made clear that a lot of small small businesses might depend on delivery services. Local restaurants might depend on them. 
um, you know, it's maybe it it um, helped see that it's very broad cross section of city residents that need these services, whereas maybe before people thought, oh, these young people, you know, they like to order things online. Um, so yeah, I think it it sort of normalized delivery in a, in a lot of ways and um, and moved it from something that that might have been considered lower priority to something that was deemed essential and 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 necessary. Um, and so in in some ways that's sort of you know been been um, has uh, reduced the number of like conversations that we need to have where we're trying to convince people that they should be thinking about urban freight. Um, right. But uh, you know also COVID has. You know, it's sort of physically for for a while. It's been sort of physically harder to 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 run experiments. Um, you know, having uh, data collectors out on the street and making sure that mm -hmm. they're safe, um, or uh, interacting with drivers. Um, sort of, we we've always done a lot of um, sort of observational studies where we watch drivers do their work. That's been harder. So you know, some of the physical um, work that we do in terms of data collection or installing equipment has been has been harder. I also think decision making um, from a lot of our partners, our research partners, um, has been just sort of slowed and in some ways really changed. Um, I mean, the logistics industry has been working their tails off uh, to keep you feeling like you have all the things you need, literally, literally working their tails off for yep. the last year and a half. Um, under just challenges at every corner. Um, the availability of labor, the availability of product, the shifting demand, um, different sort of economic and regulatory conditions. Um, and yet people continue to eat, people continue you know, to, um, to live. And so, you know, it's been, it's you know sort of honoring and acknowledging that that our partners have all been in the middle of like real you know i don't want to say crises but just the need to absolutely focus on their day-to-day -day business and to be creative and like to pull in new vehicles and you know do things differently with drivers and you know change change the way they operate entirely so you know they they've been less focused say on you know uh, the the future and a, and a bit more focused on what are we doing tomorrow because there's now a new you know regulation that we need to adhere to so um i think that's also just been you know we've been trying you know we are we're often like asking can you tell us about this and what's happening with are you buying these new vehicles and you know we we sort of had to just give them space for the last year and a half as they yeah. kept all of us going they kept all of us going that whole industry has been working overtime yep absolutely um okay so one specific project that you're working on is a micro hub in seattle it's basically it's a it's a small urban distribution center uh for delivery it basically gets packages closer to their destinations it's not coming from from the big warehouse out near the airport necessarily it's going to a smaller one, which theoretically would become many smaller ones closer to where they need to be. 
Um, what's the most, is there most common delivery mechanism from those? Is it a cargo bike? Is it a small van? Is it someone on foot? Um, or is it a mix of all of them? And you forgot to mention it's super cool. Yes, it's super cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're running, the most common one at our hub is a an electric assist cargo bike. Um, but the, it's really, we're really in the mode of, of experimentation. So really, you know, the, the our urban freight lab is involved in this because we, our partners want to test new ideas. Mm -hmm. So that's what we have to do right before we get to, oh, now we know the solution. It's going to be walking or now we know the solution. It's, you know, uh, robotics. Um, so what we're trying, you know, what we're doing is providing a space to, to, to test um, under what conditions, you know, how does sort of walking compare to a cargo bike in terms of the number of packages we can deliver in this area every day, the cost of that, the labor requirements, um, how, uh, you know, how does what we can envision a cargo bike delivery system, but when we put it on the ground and we run it, you know, does it uh, operate the way we expected that it would? Where, what are the unexpected obstacles that this bike has that we didn't foresee when we sort of imagined it? Um, so it's very much experimental and it's, it's not, um, we want to bring in a, a range of options and and give our partners a, a chance to to more quickly and more cost effectively test those things and i i think you know we're we're also like trying to bring the idea of experimentation uh into logistics i think as soon as i like collectively as people like as soon as people sort of recognize there's a a, a challenge it's like okay what's the answer and mm -hmm. um you know we maybe forget that there needs to be a period of of, ex of like learning and experimentation. And if we try too hard to jump to the answer, we're, we're probably gonna not get the answer quite right. Um, and so, so yeah, I, 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 in general, we want things that are lower emissions and I think lower sort of community impact. So when we have warehouses that are, are, are much farther away from the, the destination, the the economics and the you know the logistics efficiency sort of encourage you to use larger vehicles right because you're coming mm -hmm. from farther away you can consolidate a lot of stuff and deliver yet i think a lot of neighborhoods are uncomfortable with the increasing kind of big vehicle presence in their neighborhoods um and you know what one of those you know we we want to 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 have a less uh, CO2 intensive logistics system. But I'm also right. really interested in making sure that communities feel like they have a logistics system that they're, that they like. I, right. I feel a little bit like e-commerce, you know, we're all participating in e-commerce, at least the vast majority of us are. Yet we're simultaneously like, hey, how come that truck's riding down my street? And so, I, you know, I, I think we want to be part of thinking about well, what what do I want? Do I do I want you know my stuff to be delivered in a bike? Am I more comfortable with with cargo bikes in my neighborhood? And then I'm more comfortable with my kids being out in the street with smaller vehicles. Like and so mm -hmm. another thing that we're trying to explore in the Urban Freight Lab is sort of this. Well, let's imagine together what the future of our communities looks like and our neighborhoods, and let's 
because it's not just a question of economics and it's not just a question of CO2. It's like, what do we want our neighborhoods to look like and to feel like and to operate like? And so we're trying to make sure that we bring in those voices and we have those conversations kind of across each of these stakeholders because um, carriers want you know to to be compatible with with communities and if you look at someone like the the postal service you know they've been delivering in different ways in different communities forever and you know in some places they ride bikes and in some places they have walking yeah. deliveries and in some places they have their little jeeps and you know being like context sensitive is is i think important for for helping you know for for finding the right solution for each place. So, so you talked about the economics of it. Um, and if you, if you have more people delivering things, then you're paying more people to deliver them. So that's a, that's a negative on the economic side. During your testing, in whatever form it may have taken, ha- what positive economic impacts on the on the the retailers or the Amazons or whoever it might be have you found? Yeah, so you mean if we put things in smaller vehicles, we have to have more drivers? Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We also have, in general, I mean, unless some of those are electric vehicles, like if we're putting more packages in, like if we're ordering one hour delivery or two hour delivery, and that's like coming to us in an individual car, mm-hmm. that's worse for the environment and traffic than if i waited three days to get my package so i mean the the the, ultimately if this is a this is all this is why i i mentioned sort of what do we want our communities to look like and and uh, because the fact that we want things quickly and we want a lot of choice is really what creates the traffic and the co2 from our from our delivery system like if we were all going to decide that we didn't need to eat bananas right we can eat other things um it would be you know we can we're all fine really if we don't eat bananas and you know bananas have to be grown in tropical areas and they're you know shipped around the world and we do that we do all that just because we enjoy having choice and and you know we we want to have you know um, a nice selection of products that's available to us. The same with sort of the timeline of delivery. We could all wait. We we could all wait a week. We used to wait, um, and we didn't have things available right away. So you know a lot of what the logistics industry is doing is it's meeting your demands. Mm-hmm. as efficiently as they can. And they try to do that, right? It's a very highly competitive environment where, you know, they're all constantly trying to sort of reduce the cost that's incurred to get you what you want. Right. So, you know, it's a, it's always a balance. And the, you know, the, the, the answer won't be what's the cheapest thing or what's the least CO2. It will be what's the, you know, the, the most cost effective given I'm going to give coffee to everybody. Um, So uh, that's the experiment. That's, that's the give and take that, that retailers and shippers and carriers are kind of constantly negotiating with. And so some of what we're testing, like, how do you do you how are you willing to to walk 
to a neighborhood locker? Are you willing mm -hmm. to walk? Do you actually kind of like walking two blocks in an evening, getting out of the house, maybe interacting with a neighbor and picking up your package and going home? If that's actually kind of appealing, at least to some people, then that's a way we can reduce CO2 because the delivery can bring everything to that locker instead of visiting 10 homes. They can, they can do less CO2 uh, production. It's, it's more cost effective for the carrier. And maybe that's a solution that you actually like because it is kind of nice to get out of your house for a modest walk. Um, it's relatively close. You know it's there. There's less theft. There's less package loss. It's not sitting in the rain. Where I live, sometimes my packages get left at the door and they get wet. Um, you get an email when it's there, it's secure, it's touchless. Um, so maybe that's a model. And so there's this constant give and take. Um, so, you know, are cargo bikes smaller? Yes. Um, like, so they're carrying capacity. Um, but there's other, you know, there are other efficiencies. It's much easier to park. Um, there yeah. may be a bike lane that you can ride in that actually allows you to travel faster than vehicles who are sitting in traffic. And again, those are the experiments that we're doing. When we actually put a cargo bike on the road in a dense congested environment, can it actually deliver more packages than a truck? Because a truck is hard to maneuver, it's hard to find parking, the intersections right. are congested. So, you know, but we don't really know until we get out there and we try. And that's, you know, those, so, so we have some assumptions oh, maybe this will be more expensive or maybe this will be faster. But we're, you know, we're providing an opportunity for our partners to to test and to evaluate those things empirically. So um, Seattle seems to be a willing partner with what you're doing. It is are other cities. I mean, I know you're testing in Seattle, but do, do what what is the investment a city has to make? to become friendlier to, I mean, you talk about bike lanes, for instance. I mean, some cities are better than others about that stuff. Do city, would, to accommodate things like this, would cities need to make major changes, minor changes somewhere in the middle? I know that might be hard to quantify, but but is it difficult for a city to say, okay, we're just gonna change the way we do this? It'll probably help them ultimately, but there's steps to be taken before you get there. You mean in supporting urban freight? supporting less well supporting less congestion seems obvious i guess but you know in, installing bike lanes uh be partnering with uh distribution centers or you know so that you have more of them um to get doing things to help get congestion out do, do they need to do a lot or a little to to sort of make that happen mm -hmm. um i think there's things that any city or or town right um can do uh that are um that are pr are pretty impactful that are not um particularly costly uh mm -hmm. and are and i think COVID has has shown us that maybe things we thought would be really hard to do can actually be less a lot less hard than we imagined <laughs> So, okay. you know, putting up uh, food pickup zones, right? Changing curb allocations. So changing places that we allow commercial vehicles to park, changing the amount of time that they're there, like is something that pre-COVID 
was always kind of difficult because uh, people would argue, oh, I want that space. No, I want that space. And you should pay for that space. And we need this space for buses. And no, we need it for trucks. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that has been for cities quite quite a challenging um, to, to sort of balance the, the many demands. But I think one of the things COVID showed us is sometimes, well, actually, I think you could just walk out there and you know, put up a different sign and, and maybe, maybe, and, and, and test that. Right. So try yeah. it out, do that for a month. It's not working. Let's try something else. So, you know, maybe adaptability and, and maybe shifting thinking from, well, we have to get it right. So we have to think it all through and we have to, you know, hear, uh, we, we have to present it as we know all the answers. I mean, I just would encourage, you know, I think this period has demanded, has been really difficult. Uh, and, you know, that's, um, I don't wanna like uh, not sort of honor that, but I think it's also shown us that, you know, when we need to, we can really um, experiment and we can shift and we can adapt. Um, and we can do that over and over and over again. So uh, I guess, you know, why are things hard uh, maybe is, 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 is a question to think about. And if it's been sort of, some things are, are like administratively sort of cumbersome, I think maybe, maybe we, can, we can try to, to think in a more adaptable way. Um, and I think we're gonna have to continue to do that because I think mm -hmm. things like, you know, climate, um, challenges, very different weather than we were expecting. I mean, those are going to continue to to happen. I think COVID itself is going to, you know, we're going to have hotspots every once in a while. Um, like we're going to sort of live in a less permanent, I think, less predictable yeah. condition. And so I think all of us, supply chains in particular, you know, which have been really focused on being like lean and you get that by being predictable. This has yeah. been a shift in thinking, okay, when things are less predictable, we need to be a bit quicker, a bit more dynamic. So um, so I, I, I think a lot of, I think there are things that can be done that aren't that hard. There's also, yeah, if you want, if you're, you know, creating a, a well-connected bike network is a, is, is a hard, is, is just a expensive. Um, there's a lot of places that don't have much, you know, uh, separated bike infrastructure. And yeah, right. you know, creating an entire network is something that would take a long time. Um, so no, that's not what most people would call easy. Um, but that's not, we don't need, you know, there's a lot that can be done that's that's not just that. And I think also in transport in general, um, we're gonna need all of the solutions you know, uh, to be tested and available. So mm -hmm. are we going to use bikes some places? Yeah, but that's not all we're going to use. Um, are we going to uh, have lockers? Yeah, some people are going to use those in some neighborhoods and that's great. Are we going to have, um, you know, uh, pickup points instead of home delivery? Yes, and that's going to work for some people. So Right. You know, kind of like how we're going to deal with overall congestion is we're going to provide choices that okay. give people alternatives. And I think the the logistics system is going to look similarly. There's is not a one size you know fits all solution. We're going to have options and alternatives that 
work in certain markets and work in certain environments and um and we need all of those choices okay a couple more for you i know we're running a little longer than i thought i hope that's okay um two more so amazon it is the 500 pound gorilla here you know they're they're the biggest uh, i'm afraid i mean they're they're the trucks that are everywhere um and and they're a partner uh in your program what are things are they doing what good things are they doing to make urban delivery more manageable now i mean off the top of my head i'm thinking the locker at whole foods that's that's an easy one in some areas um yeah what other kind of things are they doing to to help this yeah well they are the biggest participant in the cargo bike uh now permanent cargo bike program in new york city um and i think they will be doing more of that in more places. Um, I think their, you know, climate goals as an organization are very bold uh, and um, will have a tremendous impact on CO2 production. And that's very positive. Um, They are shifting the electric van industry, you know, because of their scale, right? When they mm-hmm. say we need a hundred thousand electric vans, that that shifts an industry, uh, yeah. and that accelerates the development of electric vans uh, in a way that others will benefit from. So um, that, you know, again, that is going to have an impact outside of just their own operations. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think they're doing, um, their, their, their choices are influential, are tremendously influential for their own organization, but will also be, you know, outside of themselves. The other thing they're doing is sort of normalizing, um, having, uh, zero emissions goals. Um, and I certainly see, you know, I, I, I can't say that that's just because of Amazon, but think that industry has shifted um, from sort of thinking about CO2 emissions or sustainability as, you know, a thing some companies do and others don't to to really a, a, a very normalized expectation that um, you know, reducing sort of CO2 emissions and uh, acknowledging the need for more sustainable delivery methods is something that is now not surprising is um you know part of the discussion like like cost would be um so i think i think that's very positive and i we obviously need to make that shift as a planet um and they've been part of that that movement okay all right last one for you and i hope this doesn't put you on the spot too much is there a a technology that you look at when, 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 uh, with all that you have learned about this, is there a technology that you look at that maybe isn't uh, done yet? Might be one that's you know like electric vehicles or electric vehicle charging that's that's implemented already to an extent, or something that you see coming down the road that's sort of a I don't know about a game changer, but that you think makes the biggest impact here with what you're trying to do. Um, I don't know if I mean I, I, it it could be I. I Electric vehicle charging seems like an easy one. Is that the obvious one? Or is it maybe technologies that, you know, uh, software technologies that makes things different? I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of wondering if there's anything you that's just sort of, you know, make the light bulb go off over your head and say, this is really going to help. This is re- this is really going to be a game changer here. 
I think there's things that have already totally changed the like GPS um, itself has changed transportation and it because it you know enables all of our like dynamic location um, at, and and visibility so and you know what's really been reduced by that is inventory but you know we can see where things are and we can change the course of things as they're happening we used to have to do that before they left mm -hmm. we can now reallocate a demand right and the same way it's completely changed personal transportation and enabled things like uber and lyft those technologies have changed everything about supply chain and the fact that we find ourselves here where we can buy you know arguably anything we want at any moment and get a, a ridiculous amount of it very quickly is because of the investments that have already been made in um in sensors and you know gps sensors being certainly one of those and kind of information management and then communication so sending that information from place to place in that that technology is is why we've seen already this tremendous transformation tremendous transformation yeah. i mean completely unrecognizable so um and it's, it's funny, I think those things are less people, it's like that's the backbone, it's like that's the infrastructure that's made this stuff, our lives different, but I'm not sure, kind of like infrastructure is often overlooked, I'm not sure people really get that. Um, and that that's been happening slowly for decades with, with investments from logistics companies. Um, I, you know, looking for, so like, what's a robot? What's a self-driving car? I mean, it's a it's a series of sensors and communication systems um, and uh, that, you know, can be put together and operated with enough speed to do the job. So, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I guess I ultimately, I'm breaking it down, you know, more to those pieces and they've already changed what we're capable of. Um, I'm not, Yes. So I think electrification still has a long way to go. Yeah. Do we yeah. have some electric cars? Yeah. But we have not meaningfully, we have not made a meaningful dent uh, in the vehicles that are doing commercial goods distribution. And we need to do that. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think we are on the cusp of seeing a significant shift and I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I'm impatient for that. Um, <laughs> So I and I, you know, I think that, yeah, that I think largely that will be the same kinds of vehicles we recognize, right? Vans, cars, small, you know, the range of truck sizes. Um, it's fun to think about these very small kind of cute, you know, more robotic devices. They seem to capture people's attention. Um, mm -hmm. But if you look at the total like miles traveled by goods, they will still be in, you know, consolidation is still a good strategy for saving money, saving CO2, you know, yeah. being efficient. So, you know, that last mile is sort of visible to us all and it touches our, it comes into our communities. It, you know, comes onto my property. So I think, you know, it's sort of more personal and people are, are more invested in it. Um, yeah. And there we'll see, yeah, 
some more bikes, some more small vehicles, some electric vehicles, some more, you know, self-driving things. Um, but the key technologies that are really going to reduce CO2 and maybe um, allow us kind of to do uh, the, to already do this online shopping and home delivery and do that cost effectively uh, are, I think, these backbone technologies that are, are are making it all possible. Gotcha. Okay. I think I need to let you go because it's been, I've been, uh, <laughs> I would I would love to ask more questions, but maybe another time. Um, folks, uh, so Dr. Goodchild, so basically for people to find out more about what you're doing, I, I guess the best answer is to Google the Urban Freight Lab, right? Yeah, we got lots of uh, lots of stuff on our website. We're always putting stuff on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. So, yeah, Google us. There will be ample interesting things you might come across. I, I agree. If if you're if you're into logistics, folks, I have uh, poked around the website a lot, and there's a lot of great information there. So you should definitely check it out. All right, um, Dr. Goodchild, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. All right, folks, um, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you are watching or listening. It'll help us get the word out, and we'd appreciate that. Um, to learn more about HMH, the Transportation Transformation Agency, visit us at hmhagency.com or find us on all your usual social media platforms. For Dr. Ann Goodchild, I'm John Halpin, and thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the Future of Transportation podcast. Mm-hmm.